0: Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter five. Luke five is where we're going to be. Luke chapter five. We're in a series actually uh, in the book of Luke. And we've been in this series for a long time, a long, long time, and we're going to be in it for a long, long time. So um, one of the ways that we do teaching around here is we'll always have some kind of out of a book of the Bible, verse-by-verse, exegetical-type teaching, and then every now and then we're going to intersperse just different uh, thematic series or different moments where you're going to hear from... Uh, the elders in the church, or from our different teachers in the church on just what they feel like the Lord is speaking to them personally, but always coming back to uh, the book of the Bible that we are in for this time. so um, whenever I speak, whenever I share, I do my best to talk about what i 'm learning about or what 's feeding me. Um, I, I want to, uh, to to speak out of a place of being filled, of being full. I don't want to talk about things that I haven't experienced that I'm, I, I'm not, uh, I don't really know much about. I want to speak about things that, that God has been feeding me on and teaching me in. And uh, so today might be a little bit technical, so like wake up if you're like, if you need to like, you know, slap yourself on the cheek or something like that, you're going to have to be awake for this one. It might be a little bit technical, um, but this is something that's really, really feeding me. This is something that I've been in for the past probably two or three months that's really, really been feeding me. So I'm very excited. I've been looking forward to this Sunday to sharing this with you. Okay. That being said, look down at your Bibles, verse 33 of Luke 5, verse 33 of Luke 5. They said to him, Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but your disciples go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match. Everybody say match. The old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins the wine will, be, will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, the old is better." Now, this is a classic passage, and it's really a profound metaphor that Jesus is teaching through. In both cases, the case of the wine and the wineskin, and the case of the unshrunk cloth and the shrunk cloth, we have two items that do not work together. They do not match. They do not go together, and there's an incongruence with them. See, new wine needs to expand, okay, It needs to bubble up. It needs to ferment. But in the first century, the old leather wine bags that they would put wine in, uh, if they were old, they didn't have the ability to expand anymore because they'd already expanded once before, and they'd become hard and rigid. So if you put new wine in them, it wouldn't work. It would bubble, 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 and it would explode. Now, what is Jesus getting at here? What is he talking about here? Well, the wineskins represent something, right? In context, the wineskins represent structures and beliefs, ways of thinking that are associated with the law of Moses. And it isn't so much that fasting is good or bad. He's not actually making a comment about fasting is good or fasting is bad. And those, those Pharisees, they're always fasting. And those John's disciples, they're always, they're living in that old covenant, not the new one I'm bringing. They're always fasting. He actually says, no, my, you know, my disciples are going to fast. Um, But he's saying this, he's saying now is not the time. Now is not the time. Why? Why isn't it the time? Well, because of the presence of God, because Jesus is with them. Now, the problem for the Pharisees or the disciples of John, the reason why they're confronting him with this, they got a problem, and here's the problem. Their entire society had a worldview where religious activity, practices, Forms, structures, all of the the Pharisees had this belief that if everybody could just follow the Torah for one day, then the Messiah would come. If we can be on our best behavior, then we're gonna get Messiah. And so these these practices, these religious duties had become a sort of tell that would show you who is in and who is out, right? Who's righteous and who's unrighteous. So Jesus right here, he looks to reframe their entire way of thinking. He says, look, Rather than asking, are we signaling the right things through our behavior to belong to the group that we want to belong to? He says, do you do everything in your life to make room for the new thing of God? Or do you want the approval of men? Because that's really what it comes down to. Are you doing everything in your life to make room for the new thing that God is up to, hence Jesus in this context, Or are you concerned that we're not playing by your rules? Are you concerned that if if we can't get everybody to play by the same rules, then people will go off and do their own things? Is it control that you're after? Is your religious activity there for people to think, wow, I mean, what devotion? Or are you devoted because the new wine is just that good? The presence of God is just that compelling and, and, and you don't want to become rigid or inflexible to the new thing that God might be up to. Now, here's the point. Here's the point. How do you stay in step with the new thing God is doing in a given season? How do you do it? You value the movement of God above doing relationship with God the way that you've always done it. <clears throat> you value the movement of God, <laughs> the new thing, above doing relationship with God the way that you've always done it. You focus on your forms and your methods and your disciplines and your life may end up in old wineskin. But if the wine is your priority, if the wine is your priority, then you will always make sure that everything in your life is tailored for the wine. Value the wineskin, you won't be ready for the new wine. Value the wine, you'll make sure you have a new wineskin. Now, I just want to say, you know, I feel almost like I'm preaching to the choir because this is the heart that I see here. Like, this is the heart that you guys have. You guys are flexible. You're open to God offending your intellect in order to get to your heart. You're open to honoring any whiff of the Spirit amongst us. And, you know, I was, I was, I was standing in the back during worship, and, and I was just reflecting on the past four years that I've been a part of this church. It's been wonderful. It's been nothing short of wonderful. We have had some wonderful seasons of God doing new things in us, adjusting to those new things. It's, it's been beautiful. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to introduce a new wineskin to you. There's nothing wrong with forms or structures. We need to make sure that they're in step with the season God has us in. Okay, so I want to introduce a new wineskin to our church. And this wineskin isn't a practice or a form per se, though I believe it would lead to many practices and many forms and many disciplines in your life. Um, I want to introduce a new way of looking at the world that is feeding me And I believe will keep us open as a church to the new thing that God is doing. I want to talk about a sacramental worldview. Like what? We're evangelicals. Yep, I know. A sacramental worldview. I want to ask you this question. How do you view the physical world around you? And your role in it. How do you view the physical world around you? I think that there are many Christians in one, camp that, in one camp that would say, what does a spiritual relationship with God have anything to do with the physical world around me? I don't have to do anything. Maybe you've heard this before, and I'm kind of overstating it a little bit. But I don't have to do anything. I've been made right with God by what I believe. What do you mean the physical world around me? <laughs> but there are others, other Christians, just as sincere whose whole religious life is wrapped up in a ritual. And they may be tempted to think, at least I do the stuff. (laughs) At least I do something, right? See, there are three different ways of thinking about the physical world around us. There's probably more, but I've truncated them into three. And you're gonna see a beautiful picture that I personally drew. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, yeah, it's impressive. these three different uh, sets of boxes represent, I think, the three worldviews that you will find in the Western world today. You have, on the left, the closed box. And what the closed box is, is essentially naturalism. We live, if our world is inside that box, if we are all inside that box, there's no such thing as the divine. We live in a closed system. Everything that exists is you know, what you can see, and there's nothing behind the material around you. There's nothing more meaningful than just what is. That's one worldview, that's the naturalist worldview. Uh, To the right of that, we have this box that has the lid open. And the box that has the lid open is what I'm gonna call today the supernatural worldview. And the supernatural worldview is this. Our world, everything, our cosmos, everything is inside of this box, Uh, but the lid is open to to, to a divine influence. There is a God, and perhaps God might even reach into the box and tinker with things from time to time, or, or, or show up in, in revelation, or in an amazing way. Now, the boxes to the far right are what I would call the sacramental worldview. They're, the idea here is this, is that God's space and our space are actually overlapping. That actually God's space is accessible through our space. Now, since we're Christians uh, and we believe that there is a God, most of us in this room probably, the first worldview on the left doesn't really apply to us. So I want to talk about the difference between the supernatural worldview and the sacramental worldview. And here's the difference. In the supernatural box, the divine can get in and these wow moments, but it typically isn't found there. Or maybe you need to go to a church or they have to sing the right song and then, maybe then there will be a wow moment. But in the sacramental box, the divine is overlapping the natural world. In other words, God is easy to find. He's accessible. Maybe in the language of Jesus, he's at hand. In the supernatural worldview, amazing things happen, and they point to the God who's outside the box. Wow, I can't believe that person was just healed. That points to the God who is outside of our system reaching in. But in the sacramental view, God is in the box, and the physical world, in a sense, points to and here's the key term. So, if you're taking notes, write this one down points to and participates in God. Participation. I want you to get this, so let's back up and start with what exactly is a sacrament? You're like, what is happening to my church? What is a sacrament? What is a sacrament? Those of you who came from Catholicism, you're like, uh, what is he doing? Um, A sacrament, and maybe write this down, a sacrament is something here on earth that points to God, but also participates in God. It points to God, I want you to get this, it points to God, but it also participates in God. Think of the difference between a sign and a kiss. Here's a deer uh, crossing sign, you've probably seen this while driving down the street at one point. Um, And and the, the sign with the deer on it would never be confused as an actual deer, so if you were driving down the street and you saw the sign, you wouldn't be like, oh, look, there's a deer. <laughs> My daughter would, but she's two. We would see that and we'd go, oh, no, that's a sign that says to me that there's deer around. It's symbolic. In other words, it exists to point towards something real, the real deer that lives in the woods that you're driving through. That's what a sign does. The sign points to the possibility that a deer could cross your path. But a kiss, think about the difference between a sign and a kiss. A kiss is totally different. Not only does a kiss symbolize my love for my wife, but also in some sense, my kiss increases that love. It participates in that love. It is a piece of love, or or it is love. I'm showing love through the physical thing that I'm doing. Next slide. Unlike a deer sign, the kiss participates in the thing it symbolizes. This is what a sacrament is. It is a physical act that, because of the overlap of heaven and earth, participates in heaven himself. So is a sacrament physical or spiritual? Yes. <laughs> that was good, Mike. Yes. Both. It's both. And this is why traditionally physical acts like the Eucharist and baptism were sacramental. They are physical things that point to a spiritual reality, but they don't just point. In a sense, they also enact that spiritual reality for the person participating in it in that moment. When you eat the meal, you're doing something physical. Your body is actually physically changing, but we also, as Christians, believe something spiritually is happening. We're being filled. We're becoming in Christ, He's, he's in us and we are in him. Or in baptism, is it just a moment to get wet and you get out, and you're like, well, that was cold. Um, or, <laughs> or in baptism, is something real spiritually happening? Are you really dying? Are you really being born again? Yes. And I believe that this extends to this, this view of things extends to all of creation. So, there's the traditional sacraments that the church has participated in for thousands of years that we too participate in. But I also believe that this worldview extends to what we see in our everyday. A sacramental worldview reminds us that beneath the film and the grime of this life, the holy could be lurking, just waiting to be noticed. There's this great quote by Wendell Berry. Here's what he says. There are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. So you thought it was unsacred because it was desecrated. You allowed the world's treatment of that thing or of that piece of art or of that, you know, part of life that good thing that God has made, you allowed the world to tell you whether it was good or not. When he already said, "No, it's good." and it requires the divine-inspired imagination of believers to come and remake it in the image of Christ. Every moment, holy. Every place, holy. Now, I can see it on some of your faces. You're thinking, is this some sort of new-age way of looking at the world? (laughs) What is this guy talking about? Absolutely not. This is incredibly biblical, more than anything. You know, the first time we see the word sacrament Show up in the Bible is in the Latin translation of Ephesians chapter 5. Now, for those of you who are married, you know Ephesians chapter 5, or if you were paying attention to our relationship series earlier in the spring, um, Ephesians 5 discusses marriage. And and here is what Paul says speaking about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, For this reason, he's quoting Genesis 2 here, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. This is a profound sacrament. That's what it's translated to. Mysterion in Greek is translated to sacrament in Latin. But I am talking about Christ and the church. What is the profound mystery here? What is he talking about? What is a sacrament? Well, we kind of get it defined in the passage. It's the mysterious place where a physical thing here on earth, in this case, marriage, is pointing to, but also participating in the spiritual reality of Christ's relationship with the church. It's a profound mystery. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us uh, as Bible believers that mysterious sacraments exist in our world. In Genesis chapter 1, what do we learn? The physical world around us comes from the divine dance of the Trinity. Creation's beauty comes from the life of God. (laughs) Or maybe even more specifically, here's what we learn in Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Pay attention. For in him, all things, everybody say all things. All, all things, were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and I love this part, and in him, all things hold together. Christ is in Everything. Or what about the reality that God so valued the physical world that he became physical? The incarnation shows us that bodies can be places of heavenly overlap. When Christ put on flesh, he gave a new meaning to what it means to be a physical body, to be a person alive. He gave us a potential lifetime of sacramental meaning just within our bodies, and to the passage before us today, to bring it back to what Jesus is talking about in fasting, Jesus is, in a sense, giving a sacramental teaching right here. He's saying this, you can make fasting sacramental by valuing my presence over the action. Or you can make eating and drinking sacramental when it's for me. Do you see what this does? What seems beyond nature isn't. A sacramental worldview says an encounter with God could be anywhere, and this is what God intended when he created a physical reality, that it would point to him, it would participate in him, you would commune with him through it. Any bit of creation could be a potential door to encounter God. And when you begin to see with eyes like this, like this is what I'm trying to do this morning, is like, whoa, (laughs) my eyes are getting bigger, My worldview is getting wider. I'm beginning to see you in places that I didn't expect to find you. When you begin to see like that, you will begin to ask this question, is what I'm doing with my physical world reflecting the sacramental reality around me? I'm not praying because I want to look like somebody who prays or I want to be a part of that. Well, my church says that we're praying, so we should pray. I guess I want to belong to them, so I'm whoa, 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 no, no, no. Those motives do not belong in the sacramental reality. No, you begin to pray, you begin to fast, you begin to eat and drink with friends, you begin to receive communion, you begin to worship, you begin to sing, you begin to read the scriptures. Why? Because it's always the potential of encounter. You begin to go on a hike, you begin to talk to your kids differently. Everything begins to change because you live in a sacramental reality, the overlapping world of heaven and earth. At any point, you could be meeting face to face with God, and you know what this has done for me. It changes how I change diapers. I'm not just changing a diaper; I am actually caring for the body of somebody who is connected to God. I'm building trust with 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 a a child who is one day going to be an adult in relationship with God Himself. How sacramental! It could change the way that you write a paper. It could change the way that you prepare dinner or you wash dishes. Brother Lawrence was famous for the way that he washed dishes. He has a book, um, Practicing the Presence of... Isn't it Practicing the the Practice of the Presence of God, something like that? Um, People would travel just to watch him wash dishes because he did it in a sacramental way. He was a hosting God through the way that he washed dishes. Is that how you view your life? And I actually think this is what Jesus is getting at. He's getting at a presence-based lifestyle. What's your lifestyle like? Well, it just revolves around the presence of God. It's a life that looks for the presence of God in everything. That is the sacramental worldview. That is a heart like a new (laughs) wineskin. And when you see like this, two things will happen. You won't get stuck on specific ways and rituals. You will begin to ask, what should I do in the physical to respond to how you're revealing yourself to me, God? And the second thing that will begin to happen is you will begin to see that the traditions of the church, Eucharist, baptism, preaching, worship, eating together, they act as doors to the divine life even when you're not feeling it. You're like, why should I do that? I don't have to do anything. I'm free, don't you know? Oh, you've defined freedom incorrectly. And don't you know that God is on the other side of that even when you're not feeling it? This is really the why behind behind today's message. You need a sacramental worldview so that in every season, you don't define God's nearness only by how you feel. So that you begin to recognize and walk through the sacramental doors, the places of overlap. You begin to live a life that participates in heaven himself. And this is why this is feeding me. I just want to share my story a little bit of where I've been in the past couple months. See, for me, in the past couple months, some of the things that I've always done, how many of you guys understand? Let me, let me rewind. How many of you understand that there is a time to go back and do the things that you did at first? And that Stokes' first love. And there is a time where the things that you've been doing, the practices that, we all have practices, the practices that you do have have become rote and memorized. And it's time to freshen up by trying something new. See, if I only have a narrow view of where I can meet God, it only happens in my prayer room. It only happens with this song. It only happens when I read this passage. I just stay in the Psalms. I'm not reading through the Bible in a year. I'm not going to do Leviticus. You know, I don't know. It's like, it's like if, if you only have a narrow view of where you can meet God, then you will constantly feel like you're letting him down if you're not doing those things. But if you have a sacramental worldview, not only does communion and baptism and preaching and reading the scriptures become all the more important, but you begin to see God everywhere. You begin to be amazed at a sunset, just stopped by a sunset. Wow, you're in it. <laughs> or at a glass of wine. I love wine with a glass of wine. Just, this is really good. <laughs> this is, I mean, really good. I think this is sacramental. Something sacramental is going on in this wine right here. Or maybe it's in a conversation with a friend. You're like, there was something sacramental about that conversation. We just touched heaven through what just happened there. Twinkies. Twinkies? Okay. For Chad. Twinkies. Sacramental. (laughs) Like, why I've been fed is that this worldview is helping me see God in more places than I've seen him before. And we live in this beautiful valley where he's just, I'll be driving through this area. You know, my my in-laws live on Bald Peak, and so I'll be driving up to their house. And I'm just, I'm literally stopped like, you know, eight times out of ten by something that I see just, wow, that's really good. I think you're there. I'm seeing you in it. It's not so lonely. I actually see evidence of your beauty all around my, my whole life, I feel like what this worldview has been getting this new reverence of what things around me could really mean. You know, isn't it so interesting? I just find that the enemy, he wants to make your life mean less. <laughs> he always wants to make it mean less. You don't need to honor that person. They're annoying. You know, like, I wasn't that good of food. <laughs> You know, it's always less. This this dissatisfaction, this this uh, lack of gratitude. It's always less. And what this is doing? God's like, no, no, no. You are made to be rulers. So everything that you do means more. Everything that you participate in means actually more than you think that it means. And Jesus says, when you when you start to see this way, when you start to live this way, that's where the fruit comes from. A life that participates in God. And bears fruit. John 15, here's what Jesus says I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Now, what is the fruit? It's asking whatever you wish and it being done for you. And it's to God's glory that that happens. It's actually how you show yourselves to be my disciples. Here's what this is saying. God has tied our fruit to his presence. You want to live a fruitful life? You need to live a life in his presence. But here's the, this, is the, this is the part that's just like, if it wasn't in scripture, you'd be like, Blasphemy he has also tied his glory to our fruit. So <laughs> he's like, I want you to get fruit. You're gonna get it by, being, by living a life in my presence. I want you to have fruit because it's how I get glorified. This is what you were designed for. This is a truly effective kingdom life. Living a life of kingdom fruit. You become a person of peace. Relationships get healed when you enter them. In the places of strife, you begin to notice that's pride. I can't be close to the most humble being of all and still live in pride in this, in this relationship where there's strife. I must let go of it because of what you've done, who you are, God. You begin to pray for things that you previously thought would be impossible, but you said, no, this is what Jesus did. He said, for those who believe, these signs will follow them. So I'm going to, I know, look, I don't understand why evil happens, why this does, it, maybe you won't get healed, but I'm going to continue to just step in. I'm going to pray for this thing because that's what Jesus said to do. It's kingdom fruit. And you said that if I was close to you, that you would, I would bear much fruit. I want to bear fruit. There are many Christians who simply see their religion as symbolic like the Pharisees, doing the right things, never expecting to actually meet Jesus, and they're shriveling up inside by the second. Dead actions, going through the motions, you're always on the verge of a new version of self-righteousness. But there is a deeper life, the sacramental life, where you begin to participate. You begin to commune with God himself, not, not just at church or in a song, not, not, not uh, just when you receive communion or when you, you were baptized, but when you're driving your kids to school. When you're on a walk, when you're having pizza with friends, it's participation. And this is what it means to live on the vine. It's hosting God himself simply by recognizing him as the new wine. So you should fast. Jesus says, my disciples will fast. (laughs) You, You should just make sure that you do whatever you do for him and not for some other reason. And when you value the new wine of God like that, your very life will become a sacrament. John 7, Jesus reinterpreting the the temple in Ezekiel 47, says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Remember the temple in Ezekiel? The water's leaking from the temple. It's going and it's making the salty water fresh. Trees are getting planted next to it and their their leaves are for healing the nations. Could it be that you are the temple of God out of his heart will flow rivers of living water? Now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified, but he has been and you have his spirit. Do you see what he is saying? You participate in him, you come to him. You let him be your focus and you will become a temple. Your life will become a sacrament, a place where rivers of life come from. You will be a place that not only points to God, wow, there must be a God when I look at that person's life, but your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends themselves will find that they are actually participating in the very presence of God when they get around you. That is your destiny. That is what you were created for. Do you want it? Yeah, Yeah, me too. All right, let's stand.